Welcome back to Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Joined by Lance Meadow, I am John Schmelk, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to participate that way, we can talk some Giants football. And Lance, mandatory minicamp begins next uh, tomorrow. I was going to say next week begins tomorrow. It runs from Tuesday to Thursday. And by the way, a programming note for those of you who like to tune into the show live. The show on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday will be from 1 to 2 instead of 12 to 1 uh, to accommodate practice time and media availability time so we can talk about what happened at those two sessions before we come on the show here at 1. So again, Tuesday through Thursday, it'll be 1 to 2 instead of 12 to 1. We talked about it a little bit on Friday. We'll have Art Stapleton from the record joining us at 1210. Um not a whole lot more to see than OTAs because the rules are the same, Lance, but what are you most looking forward to seeing this week in mandatory minicamp? Well, I mean, we touched on a little bit Friday, continuity. I mean, to me, that's the big thing. You, you want to see the quarterbacks continue to gain some rhythm with some of the main starters, especially since we're anticipating, John, that everybody, I know it's mandatory minicamp, but even when you take into consideration the health of this team and the attendance, that pretty much everybody's going to be on hand taking part in some capacity of minicamp. I think it remains to be seen how much Odell Beckham will do, given the fact that they're working him along slowly. But I think for the most part, you're going to have the main weapons at the disposal of Eli Manning and the same thing with respect to the defense. So, you know, this is an opportunity for everybody to continue to come along and build upon what they did through OTAs. And, and I think we've seen some flashes here or there. But I think, obviously, if you're Pat Shermer, you want to see three solid days before before you break as a team because then it's going to be a good six weeks before they actually put the pads on. Yeah, I think it piqued some people's interest uh, a couple weeks ago when Pat Shermer said, oh, Dell's really, really close. And then they asked, oh, is he going to do stuff in minicamp? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Folks, I will be the most surprised guy in the world if somehow Odell yep. Beckham Jr. is out there running routes and catching passes and in team drills or one-on-one or any of that. I'd be even shocked if he was doing individual stuff. No reason to rush it. Take it slow. I'd be shocked if he did anything. So I know people have talked about that, but there's no reason for the Giants to really move that quickly with him. No, I think he'll continue to do maybe some individual running on the side, John. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised with that. I mean, can we see him progress to maybe catching a ball or two in individual drills? I mean, listen, right now it doesn't look likely, but I wouldn't be stunned if we at least maybe make that baby step. I would be surprised, to your point, if he actually starts going out with the team on team drills and enters any phase of physicality with respect to that. Now, Landon Collins maybe wouldn't surprise me quite as much only because that's simply a bone. So if it's healed, it's healed. And it's not like, you know, you can re-injure it. They can put something on it to, to prevent injury. So, and there's really not a lot of contact anyway. So of course, if yeah. Landon Collins, you know, became a full participant, that wouldn't necessarily shock me. But again, no reason to rush it. I would just wait till training camp and see what happens. And Lance, I think this is when it gets tricky too, because you have now after these three days of practice, six or seven weeks when these guys, or six weeks, when these guys are pretty much on their own, and you have to hope that they come back in shape. So I think it's important to leave these guys with a good message, leave these guys with, you know, um, a good basis to work off of. So when they return in six weeks, you're not necessarily starting from scratch, but you're picking up where you left off. Well, the encouraging aspect is most of these players, at least who are veterans on the team, tend to work out on their own even when they're not with the team. So I don't think this is necessarily an eye-opening experience. The true test is going to be for the young guys, John, yeah. and the ones that you know don't necessarily 
have a taste of what the offseason is like yet because at this point in time, think about it, when they're in college, they're getting ready for summer workouts and they have an extreme structure to what they've been doing over the last few seasons. So that, to me, is the biggest test. You know, Pat Shermer and the coaching staff's message to the rookie class and all the undrafted guys that are on the roster, okay, you've got to now treat these next six weeks as if you're around the facility and the things you've been doing religiously on a daily basis need to be repeated. You know, this is also the last chance. I'll bring up just one specific thing that I think I'm kind of keeping an eye on. This is the last chance for both place kickers to kind of step in here and show the team what they can do. And I know some people suspect that perhaps um, a more veteran kicker will be brought in at some type before camp. But this is a chance for both these guys to say, you know what? No, you don't need to bring in a veteran kicker. You know, you got Marshall Cohen, you have Aldrich Rosas. Show the coaching staff that, you know, maybe you don't need to bring in a veteran. You can trust that one of us will be good enough to win this job. So uh, that's one, I think, position since kicking has nothing to do with contact or pads or anything. This that is I the think ideal environment. You make it, you miss. Yeah. It's that simple. No, I'm with you. I mean, if there's anything to watch, who would have thought we'd be giving you a big preview of the kicking competition? And from what we've seen in OTAs, John, you know, Pat Shermer's tested Oldrick Rosas towards the end of practices where he's tried to simulate, and we even saw this with Ben McAdoo in fairness, where you try to simulate a game situation at the end of practice. You try to put something on the line. Hey, you know, if you make this, there's no laps for the defense or the winning team gets some bonus the next day at practice. And with Cohen in the last practice last week, they brought everybody up around them to try to distract them which is kicks. good. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, you got to do everything you can to at least provide that game feel, that game environment. And, you know, I mean, I think it's a good test for Rosas to build off of some of the flashes he showed last season, but also for Rosas to be reminded, hey, nothing's going to be given to you. Plus, it's a brand new coaching staff, including a brand new special teams coach. So Rosas can't feel as if, hey, whatever I showed last season, now all of a sudden the coaching staff is going to figure I'm going to duplicate and they know me well. Hey, look, and last season he wasn't good enough either. I mean, he was under 80%. Yeah. He was very inconsistent. Um, I think he only made four out of nine kicks between 40 and 49 yards, if I recall. I mean, you simply have to be better at those percentages. In the This is not 88 anymore. You know, in the modern-day NFL, you want your kicker to be close to 90%. So just stuff to keep an eye on as we move forward. And uh, to talk more about what's going to happen in Mediterranean Minicamp by the New York Football Giants is Art Stapleton from the record, NorthJersey.com, USA Today. Art, you got Schmelkin Meadow today. How are you? Smelky, Beto, how you doing? Doing now, well, Art. Did you manage to take a couple swings at that softball game over the weekend? <laughs> no, not at all. I would not step in uh, into that batter's box. There was no way I was getting in. And you know, I think some guys probably wish they didn't step into the batter's box in that situation. <laughs> oh, it, it, interesting, overall, interesting. it was a fun night. Who didn't look good in the batter's box? I want to know. Uh, let's see. Well, no one in the media. I mean, we didn't go oh, in Oh, I know. Um, yeah. You know, I think most guys were overmatched. How about I tell you who did look good in the batter's box? <laughs> That's positive spin, yeah. Davis Davis Webb was dominant in the game. Uh, he he really – it was funny. Davis Webb last year when he was a rookie, he was kind of this unassuming guy and took the challenge of going up against a fast-pitch softball player that they brought in who played semi-pro out in Houston oh, of all places. <laughs> and Davis Webb got a hit last year off of her, and it was kind of the highlight of the night. And this time around, Davis just dominated the uh, the game. And I have to be honest, for Giants fans there, the all the names that were there, we all know, and you've read them and seen them, the core 
of last year's rookie class with Davis Webb and Evan Ingram and Wayne Gallman with Saquon Barkley. Like, those four guys, like, for all the big names that were around, those four guys were kind of dominating the dodgeball game and the autograph signings and all that stuff. So it was kind of fun to see some of the younger players kind of step into year two. I joked with Ingram and Gallman when they, when they got there on Saturday night is that last year they stayed in the media dugout for like half the, the dodgeball game because they really didn't even know where they were supposed to go. So maybe a little sign that the Giants are growing, that they had young parts of their team that now uh, you know are kind of ready to step into that spotlight. So right. that, that's kind of my, uh, my story. Yeah, I heard they're going to add a dodgeball competition to the overtime rule, so that could really pay dividends this year in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, the, the dodgeball, you know, they were talking about how they were a little disappointed. You know, the players are cheating on both sides. I mean, it's not legitimate. You know, it's not the movie Dodgeball <laughs> that, you know, you, you know, everybody goofs yeah. on. But <clears throat> you want to see the competitive nature of guys who have won Super Bowls come out in a dodgeball game. I mean, the plotting and, you know, there were some former Giants who are now other, elsewhere. You know, Prince of Mukamara, I mean, is playing for the Super Bowl champs, and you know, he's diving around like crazy. The highlight of the night, though, had to be Kareem McKenzie, smoking a cigar, standing in the middle of the dodgeball area where they were playing the game, and almost daring current players to hit him with a dodgeball. <laughs> and you, wouldn't you know, no, no one threw anything at Kareem McKenzie, and then you've got Antro Roll kind of using him as a, as a shield to kind of try to dive around and, and uh, oh, hit some of the current players. That's so great. That's it funny. Was a fun night. It was a fun night to watch. Uh, it was a fun night to talk to a lot of people. But uh, we get back to kind of like fake football tomorrow, right? Yes, we it's do. really not real football, but uh, it was a good night for everyone there. That's a bold strategy by Kareem McKenzie. I hope it paid off for him yeah. using a line from uh, the dodgeball movie there. All right, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, <yes>. exactly. <laughs> well, like you said, let's get back to the, the fake football aspects that will begin tomorrow. Art, from a big-picture perspective, what is the biggest storyline that you're watching for over these next three days, given the fact that there is limited physicality in these practices? It's a great question, Lance. I mean, you, you, you know, I don't think any of us want to get into contract issues, the idea of does Odell get a contract before the season and, and all that stuff. I mean, that stuff is going to play out. Um, I, I do think that, uh, you know, Landon, is, his health is also important here. So the health aspect, you know, how much I, – I can't imagine the Giants are going to ask uh, Odell or Landon or really any other players that may be nicked up to do anything. So that being said, if you're watching it, how the team's coming together, uh, I think you got to look at, at the secondary and to see – Who's going to step up behind Janoris Jenkins and Eli Apple in that spot? Because right now, uh, there are a lot of guys. There are a lot of guys who have shown flashes, but you kind of look at it and you say, is the front office going to be confident enough to step in week one with the current collection of guys that they have to fill in at nickel, to fill in, and we know you know what we've heard from James Betcher's defense is that he's going to like to use a lot of interchangeable parts, play a lot of DBs. Uh, so do those guys step up? You know, I still think there's a competition next to Landon Collins at safety. I think Andrew Adams and Darian Thompson will be in the mix there, but I also think Curtis Riley. I think Mike Thomas. 
Uh, and I'm probably even leaving a couple guys out there that may compete there. Also, yeah. there are a lot of safeties still on the market right now. And, you know, the Giants aren't big players in the free agent market. We know their salary cap situation. But if it does come down to when they reassess, you know, Pat Shermer told us last week about the big personnel meeting that they have. I have a feeling that it's going to be another big personnel meeting before they kind of break up before the training camp to kind of assess and say, you know what, do we like the guys we have here? Or do we want to ring up Dominique Rogers Camardi and say, hey, listen, I know you're away. I know you didn't want that pay cut back in February, but now we, we see what we have and we really could use you. Do you want to come back here? I think there are a lot of teams in that position, and I think um, those could be kind of moves that they make once this off-season program kind of comes to a close. And, and, and Art, and we're joined by Art Stapleton, uh, NorthJersey.com, the record USA Today. Art, they, obviously we're not going to be able to see this at minicamp because there's no pads and the contact is very limited. Um, but it's paired with the lack of depth, I'll call it, or maybe uncertain depth in the secondary. I worry about where you're going to get a consistent pass rush on this defense. So if you have a secondary where you're not sure where your coverage guys are coming from, you know, Eli Apple, we're kind of just assuming he's going to be good again. We have to kind of see right. it, right? Norris Jenkins is coming off injury. You pair that with a group up front where no one has ever had more than four or more sacks in a single season except for Olivier Vernon. And I think you worry about the pass defense overall with this squad moving forward defensively. And to me, if there's one big red flag that could sink the season, to me, that's it. Uh, I can't disagree with you. I mean, I, I think you're putting a lot on Lorenzo Carter's shoulders to think that all of a sudden he's going to come in here as a third-round pick and supplant someone on the outside and push Kareem Martin and say he's going to be a pass rusher. Uh, I do think there's a lot in James Betcher's uh, basket right now that I think it's foolish to just say, well, Betcher's going to create this pass rush. I mean, for whatever you thought, you thought of the system that Steve Spagnola used here, and even before him, Perry Fuel, the reality is the defensive coordinator can only do so much. Yep. You know, you can't, you can't just all of a sudden create a pass rush on every single down. Unless you're solid in all the other areas, unless your corners are shut down, and Betcher now all of a sudden is going to bring Landon Collins on every play, or he's going to start bringing another safety or another uh, or the nickel corner uh, and bringing blitzes. You know, we know he's going to be aggressive, but that aggression you pay your price sometimes. You know, and and I think that's a, going to be an amazing part of how this defense comes together. But I agree with you. You know, look, we, we don't know if Dalvin Tomlinson is going to bring a pass rush uh, capability at defensive end in an odd front in 3-4. Now, if he's playing next to Snacks and you've got B.J. Hill on the other side, well, then maybe Tomlinson shows more of a pass rush ability on the interior than what we've seen so far. But I completely agree with you, John. I think pass rush is certainly one of those things you have to watch. I just don't know how uh, reliant 
Betcher is going to be on blitzing. And if he's too reliant on it, I think that's when this defense could get in, get itself into trouble. Well, Art, with that being said, I think what's also interesting is if you look at James Betcher's Cardinals teams in the past, there's been a big disparity in terms of the leading sack total guy versus the next guy on the list or even the third or the fourth. And, you know, I think everybody's looking at Olivier Vernon right now, wondering can he be the Chandler Jones of this defense. But if you look at Vernon's track record, Art, I mean, he's only had one season where he's had double-digit sacks. That was 11.5 back in 13. Since then, it's been all single digits. How much pressure do you think is on Olivier Vernon this season to maybe be that one reliable option, as you mentioned, if James Betcher can't create pass rushes or opportunities with some of these other unknown commodities? I think there is a lot of pressure on OV. Uh, I really do. And I, I, I'd like, here, back to the softball game on Saturday, I liked what I saw from OV on Saturday with his teammates. You know, OV was a guy who stayed away for all the spring last year. This year he's been here with this team, you know, adjusting to a new defense. Uh, he seemed, seemed ready to go this year. Like, not that he didn't last year, but I think OV embraces the challenge now. He understands that, look, I may have been the big fish two years ago with that big contract, and I didn't want to prove that I had to live up to a contract, but the reality is, and these are my words, not his, you start seeing the finish line on this contract very quickly if you don't perform to it. And he didn't have a good year last year, production-wise, across the board. So I do think there is some pressure on OV. Uh, you know, I, I think... You know, it's easy to say he can play a Chandler Jones role. Um, the bottom line is, if they have guys on this defense that have three, four, five sacks, you're not worried about uh, a guy who has 16 if you have five or six guys with four or five sacks. You know, if you're only relying on one or two guys, then it's going to be a problem. But I do think it's it's an immense season for Olivier Vernon to show that uh, the contract from the previous administration here it is worthy of his play and his production. And I think, uh, I think they, you know, without saying it, I think he understands it. And I think that's one of the reasons he's been here all spring, uh, trying to learn this defense and trying to be a, a guy on this defense that they know they can build around. If I, if I made you guess now, Art, who do you think is the starting safety week one uh, week one across from Landon Collins? If, if I had to, I'd say Andrew Adams based on what I've seen so far. Uh, what do you think, and, and why do you think that player, whomever it is, will win that job? Oh, that is a, that is a great question. I continue to go back and forth, honestly, um, as far as who is there. Um, as far as attitude-wise and just presence, I'd lean towards Mike Thomas. Uh, just because of, I just got that vibe from him that this entire secondary is kind of looking to him uh, as one of the leaders. Uh, he and William Gay have both kind of been that. Yep. Uh, you know, I think they called him the old head. They were calling him Uncle Mike and and <laughs> Uncle Uncle Will. Um, but uh, you know, I would not rule out a Darian Thompson or an Andrew Adams. I mean, I, I just I don't have a great feel for how. Betcher sees his safeties fill in. You know, if you're looking to use Landon Collins as a chess piece and move him around the field, you need to have a guy who's potentially going to be solid on the back end. Absolutely. And I would assume that just based on scouting report that Darian Thompson would be that guy. Now, I don't know if the new administration looks at him as that guy. You know, you got to look. 
you know, they, when it was the former coaching staff, you know, they had Darian Thompson from a rookie, and they talked about him, talked him up, and we knew what his skills were as a ball hawk, and or at least what what it was coming from college. At this point, I don't know. So I, I would say I would say Mike Thomas or the guy is not on this roster right now. I mean, that's kind of what's at stake here is that there are a lot of spots to win in that secondary and I don't believe that there are any guys outside of the name you know, the names we know, um, at the top who are guaranteed of, of anything. And I think, you know, when Landon Collins talks about how he wants to be on the field even if he's not clear because he wants to earn his spot that kind of sends a message to the rest of the group, doesn't you know, it? All right, really funny story. Uh, last practice of OTAs last week, um, real quick, William Gay's out there um, with the ones, and they do a switch. They're in red zone. And I think it was I think it was Grant Haley, the, the undrafted rookie from Penn State, runs yeah. out there, tries to sub out William Gay. He just waves him off and goes, you get your you-know-what back to the bench. And I'll tell you what, he turned around so fast and went back. So when you say that, that Gay is really taking on like that leadership veteran you know, spot in that secondary. When I see something like that, it makes me think, you know what? Maybe even if he doesn't have everything left physically that he had early in his career, that type of veteran leadership might be something that this group needs. Yeah, and you know what? You mentioned Grant Haley. I mean, uh, I love the the signing of Grant Haley coming out of the draft. I thought he would be a guy who would be uh, drafted. So to come in and be that nickel guy to be able to, I think ultimately when you talk from a physical perspective and maybe what he develops mentally, and he's also a special teams guy, Haley could be a guy that they may see to fit that spot. But again, if you're looking at, like you said, you have William Gay, let's just say William Gay versus Grant Haley. You have a blueprint of what William Gay has done in the NFL. You may not think that he has, uh, you know, 100% left in the tank, but you may see, see him at, okay, he's, he's 80% of the player he was. But now you're projecting for Grant Haley. If you're the Giants, can you go into training camp and project that Grant Haley is going to be the guy? No, you, you can't. You need an insurance policy. So I think that's kind of why I look at guys like William Gay and, and Mike Thomas to an extent. They are guys who they know they can count on. It's almost like that comfortable sweat. I mean, you got those guys, and you know you're not going to go out to the to the club in that comfortable sweater. That guy's got to prove me more. But I think right now that's the fallback, and I think the Giants need more from the other guys, and maybe they will deliver. We don't see you know you you guys uh, at least John you have you you've had a benefit of seeing all of the OTAs. We've seen one OTA practice each of the last three weeks, yeah. plus a voluntary mini camp. I mean. Come on, we're all making all of these judgments in the media, and myself included. We really haven't seen much of their spring program. We could talk about, talk about people. We could talk to people. We could do as much reporting as we want. Uh, but I think the true sense of this team will be seen the first couple weeks of training camp when we start seeing maybe some of these position battles take shape. And the other thing is, Pat Shermer said last week, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't focus too much on who's with the first team, who's with the second team. Yep. They have their reasons as to why they put guys. You know, Brett Jones wasn't at center a lot in the OTA that we saw, the most recent one, uh, at, with the first team. John Halapio was. Yep. Now, that's not to say that Jones and Halapio are not having a great competition. I mean, I wrote a story on Halapio. He's a great story, and he may be the guy. 
But it could be as simple as, you know what, Brett knows this offense better than anybody right now. Brett needs to be with the second teamers because we've got to get those guys functioning at a high level. You know, yeah. I'm just speculating at this point, but when Pat Shermer says something like that, that's what I think. I think to myself, you know what, he may be putting some guys who – you know, he tells them, look, don't worry about your pecking order and the depth chart. I just need you to get some of these other guys up to speed, and then we'll worry about depth chart come uh, July and August. So that's something that I'm looking at going into this mini camp and trying to keep in the back of my mind. That's where we're at with this team. It's still at a building stage. Well, I agree with you, Arda, and I think the depth chart, the guys behind the starters is going to be so important to focus on once they put the pads on because I think if the Giants learned anything from last season, it's once your number ones go down, you have to have reliable number twos. Now, you brought up the offensive line. You know, if you start to speculate who may start, you may be positioned where you have a guy like John Jerry if he makes the team as a backup. You know, you brought up the center position depending on who wins, at least on paper art. Does it appear to you that the Giants are in better shape potentially with the second layer of the offensive line and the options they'll have to plug in in the event that there are injuries and guys missing some time? Yeah, I, I do agree with that, and I do think some of that comes from what we saw at the end of last year. You know, I, I do think that I mentioned Jones and Jalapio. I mean, I think both of those guys, at the very least, project as reserve guys that if you need to plug them in, uh, you know they'll function. And, you know, one of them is going to be the starting center, barring something completely unforeseen. I think Dave Gettleman and, and the front office, I mean, obviously Pat Shermer and the coaching staff, it is about developing that depth. You know, you need to get other guys. You know, right now, if Chad Wheeler is your swing tackle, that's not that bad. You know what I mean? It's not that bad. There are people who want to put Chad Wheeler as the starter, right, starting right tackle. Well, I don't know. I mean, but if you develop Chad Wheeler as a swing tackle and you can get Eric Flowers to somehow play to his potential or at least somewhere near potential and just be functional at right tackle, now you potentially have three tackles. In the past, you didn't have any. <laughs> you had to move your starting left guard yeah. to play right tackle in Justin Pugh. Now, I think they've tried to turn that page. There are a lot of undrafted rookies, too, here. You know, the Evan Browns of the world. Uh, the idea that where do these guys fit in, and I think that's kind of where we don't see the big picture right now. But I do think, Lance, you're 100% correct, is that the depth of this offensive line really is a focal point, and we won't know – until we get to training camp where some of these guys slot in. You know, if John Jerry, who started, I think it was almost, uh, um, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but pretty much every game last year, right? I mean, yeah, I, I don't yeah. remember him uh, leaving. I remember him leaving a game, but I don't remember him not starting. In fact, I think so he started John, every game for almost either two or three straight years, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, and originally when John Jerry was brought here, the talk was that he was just going to be a valuable reserve. So yeah. he's never really even played the role that he was supposed to play here. Um, you know, if John Jerry is a guy that they decide, okay, we'll, we'll deal with his salary cap hit. It's, it's not a major. We don't need the 900000 that um, we'd get if we released him. But he's a guy who, you know, if he's on your bench, well, then at least you know a guy if somebody gets hurt. You could bring John Jerry in at guard and say, all right, well, we know what we have. It's not optimal. We'd rather have our other guys, but you just never know. So I, I, think, I think, and that's the, the other aspect of this, guys, on the offensive line depth, 
is the change, and we really haven't talked about it much. You guys may have. But the change in special teams rules, especially on kickoff, is going to change the complexion of what kickoff looks like. And some of these bigger guys who are in the past counted to be a part of the wedge or be a part of special teams may lose their role there. So the numbers games as far as the roster construction and stuff may not change initially, but come the end of August, when they're analyzing which positions and who's staying and who's going, you may keep more linebackers, more receivers, because they now become a factor in the speed game of the kickoff rather than what the traditional kickoff has been. And I think... That could change who stays around on the offensive line as reserve guys. You may have an offensive lineman that you carry that may only get out there on field goal, you know, kick, an extra point on the line because you're not going to put him out there on kickoff because all of a sudden it's a speed game. It's not about the big boys because they're trying to watch out for the safety aspect. So I do think that that's something that we don't know what it's going to look like, but it wouldn't surprise me to see the numbers on the offensive line tweaked a little bit because you're now not putting two or three reserve offensive linemen out there on special teams because you want smaller players. You want faster players. All right, we feel really good about, obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard being wide receiver one, wide receiver two. Heck, I'll even consider Evan Ingram pass target number two or three, however you want to sort that out. So uh, the third wide receiver spot on this team, how do you see the competition? Cody Latimer, Hunter Sharp, uh, some of the guys behind them, Roger Lewis. And then I guess even the more important part of the question is what do you think the role of that third receiver is going to be this year? And will it be near as prominent as it has been the last couple years under Ben McAdoo? You know what? I'm expecting – look, we all do the same thing. You know, you guys have done a great job talking to people in the past, in Pat Shermer's past, what to expect of his offense. We've all gone back and watched Vikings film and trying to to see videos and – crunch the numbers as far as participation and uh, are they running 12 personnel or 13 personnel you know with the giants we knew it was 13 personnel and that that was pretty much it um i don't think you're going to see that this year so i do think that third wide receiver role takes on a different uh complexion Uh, i think that you're going to see a lot of odell beckham sterling shepherd evan ingram and Red Ellison. I agree. And then Saquon Barkley in the backfield. So what is that third? It's a great point. What does that third receiver do? Well, if you're talking about a Cody Latimer or a Russell Shepard, those guys, we know they have special teams uh, in their past, and not as returners, but as gunners. They've both been very good as gunners in the past. You know, Shepard didn't have a great year in Carolina last year, but maybe it was just an anomaly. If you go back to, and I'm talking Russell, obviously, if you go back to Tampa Bay days, that's what Dave Gettleman saw last year as the former GM of Carolina and why he gave Shepard a contract to come to the Panthers. So I, I like Latimer in that spot. I think Hunter Sharp has put, put pressure on uh, Roger Lewis. I do think Roger Lewis has had a great spring. He's, he's another one of those guys. You know, he's been out there with the second team, but he's been dominating the second team. Every practice we've been at, Roger Lewis has made two and three catches that have been outstanding. You know, and different route, we're running different parts of the route tree. He's been great. He wasn't that great on special teams last year. He, he had a lot of mistakes. So for him to impress – you know, you could be locked into a situation where Roger Lewis has got to 
beat out Russell Shepard, not as a wide receiver, but as a special teams guy. Yeah, so I think that is where I see this wide receiver competition coming down to is because you're going to have guys who need to be versatile and might not be getting as many uh, plays on the field uh, if everyone is healthy. Because i got to imagine, you know, Shermer's got to be licking his chops the idea of, you know what, I keep Ellison as an option, but I can split Ingram out all of a sudden, and now I've got Ingram, Shepard, and Beckham with Barkley out of the backfield. Now you try to match up with my guys. And I think that's kind of where it's at. You know, do you rather have, would you rather have Saquon Barkley split out uh, or, you know, because Dalvin Cook, if you look at the numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but last year when Dalvin Cook split out, he split out a lot uh, for Pat Shermer and that offense when he was healthy. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, if you're talking about your third receiver, who do you want? You want Ingram split out or Barkley split out out of the backfield or one of these other receivers, and I think that really matters uh, to when they decide who is going to be on that, you know, fourth, fifth, and even sixth spot uh, come the season. Talking with Art Stable, dude, who covers the Giants for the record, NorthJersey.com, USA Today, and you brought up Dalvin Cook, small sample size, so there's even so much you could tell based on the fact that he only played two games last year before he went down with the torn ACL. You brought up Rhett Ellison, Art, and Evan Ingram, and I think most people are just penciling those two in. A battle that I find interesting is, okay, who's the third tight end? Are they going to keep four tight ends? What type of a role is Shane Smith going to have in this offense if they want to involve the fullback, or is that going to be Red Ellison? What has jumped out to you from the limited opportunities that you've seen practice in terms of guys like Kyle Carter, Jarrell Adams, you know, who is obviously nearing the end of his rookie contract? What type of an opportunity, what type of competition do you see beyond the usual suspects like a Red Ellison as well as an Evan Ingram? It's a, I mean, it's a great, another great point, Lance. And I think, I don't know. I don't know how far beyond Ingram and Ellison that the Giants want to go. Shane Smith is obviously, you know, that whole idea of Shane Smith being listed as a, as a tight end on the roster, to me, I found ridiculous under Ben McAdoo in the previous regime. I mean, look, he's a fullback. Call him a fullback. That's what he is. Now, maybe he can fill some of those tight end roles, per se, but he's a fullback. But that is a spot. Now, and if that's a spot that they want to use, I, I don't know beyond the first two. You know, you, you mentioned Carter. Obviously, Carter has a history with, with Pat Shermer from being in the Vikings. You know, um, if I remember correctly, Carter was waived in the playoffs when they, had to activate, when they decided to activate Terry Bridgewater, right? Uh, and then the Giants picked him up on waivers. That was really the first move that Pat Shermer made as head coach yeah. uh, with the Giants. They claimed him on waivers, and then they were awarded him on waivers after the Super Bowl. Um, so you got to know that Pat Shermer likes him. Uh, Jarrell Adams, I don't know the, con- the, the confidence that this coaching staff has in Jarrell Adams. I mean, you have a new tight end coach. Obviously, Linda Wells was here last year, so he knows Jarrell. Uh, but that's what I'm saying about the special teams aspect, too. Do you load up on tight ends? Those guys might not be on your special teams. Yeah. You may want to carry six receivers instead of four or five tight ends because you have, you know, you have the confidence in the guys that you have. So I think um, you know Garrett Dickerson is a name. Obviously, a local kid. I wrote about him a lot. We talked about him. He just signed last week at the end of the OTAs. Um, he's a guy that obviously they liked at rookie minicamp. He can play in the backfield. He's more, you know, he can play H back. He can be out there. Be interesting if he's the kind of guy that height, weight, speed guy uh, who maybe with a big summer 
could nudge one of those guys off at tight end because they can look at him and say, you know what, he's got the body type that we want to use on special teams, plus he's a guy that if Smith goes down, we might be able to play him in the backfield. So I I think that's a great question, Lance. I think you guys have kind of nailed all of the points. I mean, there are certain uncertainties involved right now with this team, and tight end is definitely a spot. We know they're going to use them. But who are they going to use beyond those top two guys? I think that's a very good question. All right, final question for me, and this might sound a bit macabre, but based on last year, I think it's a, I think it, it's a question that kind of talks towards the depth of this team and uh, where they've kind of improved from last year. Who are the players on this team right now that you don't think the Giants could survive without? Basically, if they happen to lose player X from injury, you sit there and you're like, boy, as much as this team has improved, I'm not sure they could survive without player X. How many players would you consider to be in that category currently on the roster? Uh, Good question. Um, First guy that came to mind is Nate Solder. I agree. As a new guy. Um, that would be a new guy. Obviously, we know the usual suspects. Uh, I mean, you, you don't want to deal with no Odell this year. Yep. Uh, you don't want to deal with, with no Saquon Barkley. Obviously, Eli, a quarterback. Um, would you put Janoris Jenkins I, in that category? I think you have to at this point with the depth of of position, and especially if, if Jack Rabbit is going to be at, at, at his best. You know, when he's at his best, he's you know, you can make an argument that there are no corners better than him. They may be as good as him. Uh, so I would say Janoris Jenkins is there. Uh, Snacks, no doubt. Um, how about, at at nose guard. How about Ov? He would. You know what? It kind of goes back to our original point. Ov is is an, an X factor for this team. If Ov. You know, if OV goes out, I mean, I, I, I got to think, I think OV is going to have a good year. I think OV is going to have a lot of production. Me too. So I would look at him there. I, I don't know the depth beyond that. I mean, if, if you're telling me Lorenzo Carter is going to hit a home run and be, and be, you know, Leonard Floyd, well, then I'd say, okay, maybe they can survive with no OV. Uh, I'd say. I'd say there are probably six to eight guys that this team, if they suffer an injury, would be uh, would be in serious trouble. Fair enough. Yeah, I think Janoris Jenkins, to me, is the one that really hits home. And this goes back to the point that you brought up earlier, Arden. You know, coincidentally, you brought up DRC because he was at the softball game. You know, look at what happened against the Packers. Uh, in the playoff game, DRC goes down and Aaron Rodgers starts targeting the backup. So to me, right. if the Giants lose a Janoris Jenkins or Eli Apple doesn't get back to his old self as a rookie because of the question marks in the depth chart at the secondary, I mean, that could mean trouble for this team. Especially right against the schedule with so yeah. many great quarterbacks. Yeah, it could. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think, you know, we could probably, I know we're focused on one team in the NFL. We could probably focus on the 31 others and talk about players if they lost them. Uh, they'd be in trouble, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, corner will be an issue. Uh, pass rush will be an issue. Offensive line will be an issue. And that running back will be an issue. Because Saquon, so much is being laid at the feet of Saquon Barkley and how he's going to be a, a game changer at that position. Um, you know, look, I, I like Wayne Gallman. Uh, I think what John, Jonathan Stewart's done for his entire career uh, is to be commended. But 
neither are expected to have that kind of impact that, that Saquon is. So you have to put Saquon in that mix as well. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I'd say running back, uh, obviously quarterback. Now you take an Odell. We've seen this team without Odell Beckham Jr. on the field, and we've seen it with Sterling Shepard having to be uh, the guy. Sterling has done well, but everyone else around them has not uh, performed. So uh, I think – Look, it's it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle like everything else, and or maybe even not a puzzle. It's a Jenga puzzle. <laughs> you take one of the, you, and we've seen this Giants team. If you take one of those two Jenga pieces out, the tower collapses. That was the 2017 Giants, yeah. and they got to hope that this year um, they do enough around them that they can survive game to game with some of these Knicks because you're not going to avoid that in the NFL. Uh, but you can't avoid you. You can't endure what they endured in Week Five against the Chargers and expect to be a competitive football team, losing essentially your top four wide receivers uh, in one game. Uh, that can't happen, and that can't happen really at any position. I don't think any team in the NFL is built for that uh, to deal with it over the long haul. Our two rapid fires over under Saquon Barkley eighty percent of the offensive snaps. Um, I'd say, I'd say right about there. Maybe a little under, maybe seventy-five. All right, and the maybe second you, you you still want to get Gallman and, and Stewart in a little bit. I think second one twenty-three touches a game, uh, receptions and rushes over or under. Um, <laughs> I picked a number. Say, really put him on the spot today. <laughs> I'll say under. I'll I'll say under just because you still have number thirteen on the field. And if, if everything goes well with Odell, uh, you're not going to want to be force-feeding Saquon if things aren't clicking uh, when 13 is out. So ideally, uh, I think there's a little bit more balance. But, look, I think Saquon's going to grab the ball and run with it this year uh, with the job that they do. And if he can pass protect, which all indications are he can, yep. uh, I think he's a weapon. He's an every-down weapon, and those other guys are going to be fighting for scraps. Thank you, Art. Thanks so much, Art. Okay, guys. Thanks. Good appreciate stuff. It. Got appreciate it. all the time. A nice upwards and downwards, left and right, 360-degree look at the New York football giants with Art Stapleton from the record, NorthJersey.com, USA Today. Give us a little over-under on uh, Saquon Barkley. To me, for some reason, I find that very fascinating. We kind of talked about this. Uh, me and Paul did a show where we kind of set uh, Barkley's over-unders for the season. I'm not sure I've done it with you. Maybe we'll do it later in the show. We have a couple calls. We'll get to them first. But how exactly how much they're going to use him to me and how they're going to use him and the frequency he's going to touch the ball, it's very fascinating to me. Because, you know, Pat Shermer says it takes a village at the running back position. I'm curious to see how much they mix in. Well, I mean, it gets back to why I would have liked to have seen more out of Dalvin Cook last season just to maybe right. have a better idea of how perhaps they're going to use Barkley. Because Cook did an awful lot when he was healthy. He did, he did but it was such lot. a small sample right. size. You don't know over the course of the season were they going to get yep. to the midway point and say, hey, you know what, now we got to give Latavius Murray a little bit more work, and now we got to give Jarek McKinnon a little bit more work. I do think, though, real quickly before we get to the lines, that it wouldn't be crazy to think that they're thinking more of touches than necessarily carries well, that's why I versus... For touches, yeah. yeah, so so that's why I, I could see maybe, you know, they want to get the ball in the hands of Saquon Barkley, you know, 20 to 25 times. I don't think that's crazy. But remember, I would also include special teams in that too. I'm not just including receptions and carries. Well, it would just if be they kickoff. give him some opportunities on kickoffs, though, that to me is included within that 20 to 25 barometer. All right, let's get to the calls, folks. We have a couple open lines if you want to get in. Last 15 minutes of the show, we'll get you right up. Jason and Charlotte, he'll lead us off on... Big Blue Kickoff live on Giants.com. Jason, how are you? 
Good. How are you guys? What's up, Jay? Well, I wanted to talk about Saquon Barkley and his potential uh, improvement as a blocker. I feel the Giants haven't really been using chip blocking very effectively since uh, maybe Brandon Jacobs used to decleat guys, and it was awesome. <laughs> Mod Bradshaw is another guy that they use. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but I feel like none of the backs we've had recently have been very good at that, and basically it opens up the field for you know Saquon to take a guy out and, and go out and run a little easy route that he could turn into yards. Yeah, look, look, Jason. Uh, I think especially, especially if you're helping out Eric Flowers at right tackle, I think that's something um, we could certainly see Saquon Barkley do. And I think from what I've seen, and obviously there's no contact, so it's more mental reps. He's been pretty sharp on his blitz pickup. I've only seen him probably blow one blitz pickup over the course of OTAs, where you know he was like, "Oh, that's my fault. I, I I read it wrong. I didn't get the right guy on the blitz." I think he's been pretty sharp on those. So and, and again, he's 230. And and again, he's 230 pounds. He should be able to handle picking up linebackers and safety. So I think he'll be fine. Yeah, and I, the blitz I, mean, I agree. Pickup's impressive with Betcher's scheme too being so complex. Exactly. Agree. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, right now, if mentally he's getting a good grasp of what he's expected to do, then you just hope that that's going to translate once the pads are put on. But remember, Saquon Barkley was asked to pick up in pass protection in college, so this is not necessarily something that they're throwing him into the mix for the first time where it's baptism by fire, whereas most young running backs, they're not asked to pass protect, and this is their first taste of that element. So that, I think, is the most encouraging aspect. It's not a huge adjustment that they're asking Saquon Barkley to make. Uh, one more quick question about sure. Saquon, too. Go ahead. Um, so I read the reports. I've seen his highlight reels. But that doesn't show you like how he is at picking up the dirty yards. Is he a guy who, you watch the film, he picks up those 4.5 yards and then busts one? Or does he get stuck behind the line quite a bit? Uh, I think Jason, to me, and I watched a ton of his carries at Penn State getting ready for the draft. He, I'm not going to call him an all-or-nothing guy, but I do think he has some Barry Sanders in him in that you know he'll sacrifice gaining three yards to try to gain 20 sometimes. And I do think he's one of the most complete backs I've ever seen. If there's one thing that I really think he can work on, it's, okay, I'll, I'll take two and a half yards, I'll take three yards, I'll take second and seven. Instead of trying to bounce it and turn it into a 10 or a 15-yard game, then all of a sudden you're in second and 12. So, And by the way, his head coach told us that when we had him on the air and his offensive coordinator. And Saquon Barkley said that about himself at his opening press conference. So it's yeah, not like... Yeah, I mean, he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders and he's willing to take some feedback. No, absolutely. Yeah. But I do think uh, occasionally in, in the NFL, you're not going to have the type of holes that you had in high school, you had at lower levels of college football. You basically, if you see three yards, you take three yards. If you try to out-athletic everybody and bounce everything outside, the guys in the NFL are too good. It's not going to work. Quick. Yeah, and they're going to force you to lose yardage. I, I think the best parallel, John, to what you're saying is in baseball, you got to take the single as opposed to going for the home run every time you swing. And that, Plus I think, the, if he adopts that mindset, I think he'll be in good shape. And he's capable, I too. Think, yeah. I think that single could set up for home runs, too. Get the linebackers sucking yeah. in, and sure. then you bounce that. No, quite, Jason. Thanks for the call. No question. Cool. We Thank agree. And and the thing about it too is that I often found looking at his tape, he didn't often enough run like he was two hundred thirty pounds. Like his running style was that. And Dave Gettleman kind of said it. He's two hundred thirty pounds, but he has the feet and quickness of a little guy. And I feel like too often, despite the fact he has the power, because I did see it in little short bursts here or there. And he can do it. He's physically capable. But I feel like too often he ran like 
he didn't want to square up those pads and run somebody over. He was trying to avoid that rather than, I'm not saying run to contact, but sometimes, yeah, get two yards, fall forward another yard and a half, and you're in second and six. Great. I'll take that any day of the week. And, uh, again, he's physically capable. He can do it. I don't think he did it enough when he was in, at the college level. Oh, he has the physical frame, sure. to your point, to do that. I think it will be a telling factor. You know, what type of a role do they have for Jonathan Stewart? Because that's Stewart's ammo, John. What you're describing right now, sure. Stewart's the guy, you know, he will easily run up the gut. He'll take the hits. He'll give you two to three yards. He'll do it in short yardage. He'll do it in the middle of the field. He'll get Makes what's no there. Difference. Yeah, so, I mean, do they want him to take on the brunt of that? Or do they want to see a little bit more versatility out of Saquon Barkley? Uh, no matter how they want to utilize Barkley, Barkley still has to show that he can do that. Because then what happens is you become too predictable to the defense. And then every time Barkley's in, they're going to say, oh, well, he's the type of guy that leans towards the outside. You don't want to have that mindset as a running back. You want to give the defense a reason to think that you could go up the middle and you could also maybe bounce it to the outside. Yeah, we saw it in goal line too. In college, when Barkley was in goal line, he wouldn't get lower his pads, he would try to go over the top a lot. And that's kind of how we tried to get a lot of his scores, which is fine. It works. But again, I think, you know, just square the shoulders, get low, grind out a few yards. Move the pile forward. And be yeah. happy with it. Scott, New Mexico. He's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's up, Scott? Hi, guys. How you doing, Scott? Uh, I was, uh, I thought that the dissertation that Arch Stapleton gave on the Giants was really point on. Yeah. And... One of the things I was curious about, and I did some research, is the defenses that James Betcher ran in Arizona. And for 48% of the time, they were in nickel coverages, uh, which I thought was kind of surprising. Only 26% were they in the traditional 3-4. Yeah, but you know what, so, Scott? That, that, that's not just Arizona. Yeah, that's that's every team now. Every team is in nickel and sub a lot more than they are in base. Okay, but would that also answer the question of maybe why they didn't have as many um, pass or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, sacks uh, as opposed to some of the other teams and run the traditional four threes and so forth? Uh, because when you're in nickel, you have to have that fifth. Uh, either yeah, but you could safety. still, so Scott. Well, you could still blitz though the additional defensive back. It, just because your personnel's different doesn't mean you don't have the ability to get to the quarterback. Well, so. both linebackers. You got yeah. two linebackers on the field. No, but what so, I'm yeah. saying is, you take the slot corner and you have him blitz, or you have a guy on the outside blitz. It right. doesn't really matter to me whether you're in your base or your nickel. So I don't think that's necessarily a factor that impacted no. the sacks. And I mean, they did have what I think 37 sacks, if memory serves me correctly, last right. season, which was just under 40. Uh, so, you know, they were pretty much middle of the pack in the NFL, but I don't think the alignment had anything to do with the lack of production or perhaps, you know, them falling short of what their ultimate goal was. Okay. In regards to the safeties, uh, uh, Thompson had one of the worst ratings from Pro Football Focus. I know he was really low. But my question also has to do with Landon Collins. Uh, even though he's a pro bowler, uh, can he fit into the scheme? Because, again, yes. uh, they're going to do a lot of exotic blitzing, which is going to make one-on-one uh, -on -one coverage is very important. So I was just curious, does he really fit into the scheme, or, does he, or are they going to have to bring him down into the box more often and maybe just rely on, uh, you know, uh, four defenders back there or a combination of defenders? Because I didn't know how good a cover guy he really was to take people like Devontae Freeman or... Uh, Camara that they're going to run into with the teams that they're going to face this year. So yeah, I'm just curious as to your comments in regards to that. I don't think that's what they're going to ask him to do, though. There are two distinct safety positions in Betcher's defense. You have the safety position. This is the position that uh, Antoine Bethea played last year, which is that single high deep. And 
the way the Cardinals ran their defense last year specifically, they ran 65% was either cover one or cover three. The year before, a combined 70% was cover one or cover three. And the same thing the year before. So you're looking okay. anywhere from 65 to 70% of single high safety coverage from what Betcher did in Arizona, okay? So that means you're going to have one safety deep, and that was, you know, if you want to take a look at Seattle, that's Earl Thomas. And then, you know, the other safety right. that comes down into the box, that was Cam Chancellor yep. for Seattle. That was Tony Jefferson in Arizona. And that's going to be Landon Collins for the Giants. So, yes, oh. he is going to be asked occasionally to, to guard a tight end one-on-one. -on -one, but he's going to be a robber. He's going to be a run support guy. He's going to be a blitzer. He's going to be a run-to-the-football type of guy. So, I, I think... Betcher understands what he's good at, and he's, much like Pat Shermer on offense has said many times, we're going to play to our guy's strengths, and he's going to put Collins in a position to succeed. Another player, just real quickly, Scott, before you continue, that I, I would use as a comparison, Collins is not moving to linebacker in this defense, but how Betcher used Deion Buchanan in Arizona is somebody also, I think, right. to watch because he's that versatile player that can do a little bit of everything, the jack-of-all-trades type of player. Okay. Well, um, I, can I ask a question uh, sort of uh, generally related to not necessarily the Giants, but uh, football in sure. general? What do you got? Um, there's been a rash of players that have been suspended for PDs. The Giants have one, uh, Josh Morrow. But I was looking at some of the lists like Julius Edelman and Vontez Burfitt, uh, Corey Liggett from the Chargers. And the question I have is one I don't know if you guys can answer, but is is this prevalent in the NFL, or is this something the NFL is trying to work on? Because these guys are going to lose money. And I was just curious if it's just the pressure of playing football with, uh, you know, just trying to keep your edge. Uh, is that the reason why it's, uh, it's becoming a little bit more of a problem? And Scott, I can take this answer off the no, off. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. The call. It's not an NFL problem. The NFL literally does all they can to educate these guys on what they can or they cannot do. Uh, the training staffs for all these teams, the nutritional staffs, you know, whoever you want to talk about, they literally tell these guys, if you want to go take a supplement or take something, you got to tell us what it is and we'll tell you if you're allowed to take it. You, you will literally, you can call up the NFL and say, There's I want list. to yeah. take X. If I take X, will I get in trouble? The league will tell you yes or no. Um, and I think, unfortunately, you know, some players might be outright trying to cheat. I don't know. I think some guys probably literally take something over a counter they think is okay and it's not. I think it depends on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and I think it's unfortunate, but I don't think it's a league issue. I think it's, I think the players have to just be very careful of what they put in their bodies. Yeah, I think it's a matter of doing the homework. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. These lists also tend to evolve from season to season, sure. which is more of a reason, John, that I think if most players just take the simple step, and listen, based on the percentage of players that were suspended, most players, I figure, are doing their due diligence. Mm -hmm. But it's a matter of, to your point, you go to people who are on your staff or you contact the league directly and you make sure you get clearance before you put that in your body because worst case scenario john at least you have a trail of paperwork if it gets to the point where Correct. there's some test that comes up with a variation of a result where you say well wait a minute i gave you guys this information you gave me the approval you told me it was legit so at least you have that some players, if you just decide to take something on your own, even if you do your own homework, but, you know, I don't know, I'm no scientist, there's some 
chemical combination of two factors, it leads to some type of a positive test. That's more of a reason why I think most players who have been suspended ultimately are just not doing their own homework. I don't think it's necessarily a trend of what we're going to see moving forward because it's still a very small percentage of the NFL body when you take a look at who's been suspended over the last few years. All right, we got three minutes. These are the over-unders I came up with Barkley when I was on with the Tino about a month ago. I'm going to throw them at you. Let me know what you think, okay? Saquon Barkley for the season, one hundred and uh, I'm sorry, two hundred and seventy carries, over or under. I'll say that comes out to I think sixteen carries a game, sixteen or seventeen carries a game. I'll go over on that one. You say over two seventy yeah, on the carries. I'll go over on two seventy. Okay, eleven hundred and ninety rushing yards. That comes out to about four and a half yards per carry. I'm gonna go under on that. You one. go under eleven ninety yes. on the rushing yards. Okay, so you think his yards per carry will be down then? Rushing touchdowns, over or under? That's a good one. Boy, if he gets six rushing touchdowns, that'd be a huge advantage for the Giants considering they barely have gotten to six total as a team over the last few okay, years. True. With respect to that... I'm and are gonna, they going to use him in goal yeah. line too? That's the other question. Well, that's why. I'm going to go under because I can see him getting four to five and Stewart taking away some other opportunities. Okay. So now, I'll go under. More importantly, now we get to the receiving stats, which obviously is in tandem. Yes. 68 catches... Over or under? That comes out to a little, um, that comes out to, let's see, a little over four per game. Well, I'll tell you this. He's not matching Christian McCaffrey's numbers last season. Well, he had 90 the catches. Roof. Well, no, I think he had even less than that. I think he had in the 80s, if I'm correct. 86, McCaffrey. maybe? Yeah, but it was just a ridiculous number. So yeah. I don't see him getting there. Now, I your agree. number was still below what McCaffrey did. I think McCaffrey may have even had 80 on the nose, if I'm correct. Uh, while you look that up, I'm gonna go slightly. 80 for 651. So they, I'm gonna go slightly under 61. So I'll say that. Okay. How about 675? I'm gonna go under on that one too. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then four receiving touchdowns. I'll go over on that one. Okay. See, I think he'll have more opportunities to get in the end zone as a receiver than perhaps on the ground. Based on how you and Art have hesitated on those, I feel like I've picked some good numbers at least. Yeah, no, I think those are valid numbers. And, and I'm not doing it so that there's not pressure on Saquon Barkley. Oh, no. I just, if you just look at some of these versatile running backs, I mean, everybody looks at the college numbers and thinks that everything's going to be a smooth transition. you got to figure there are going to be some struggles and some bumps in the road in terms of what he's going to have to deal with right. with NFL defenses. And even though the Giants have improved their offensive line, they're not marching out, you know, five Pro Bowlers either. So I think that's of something course. else you have to take in consideration. Yeah, and, and listen. And there's other people to throw the ball to, too, by the way. That's the other thing. There, and Art brought this up. It's hard for me to, and this is why I think it's really fascinating. You want to get the ball to Sterling Shepard. You want to get the ball to Beckham. You want to get the ball to Evan Ingram. These are all first and second round picks. It's a good problem to have. So how many touches can you give to Barkley without underutilizing one of the other really good players? So I think it's a real fascinating thing to look at. Yeah, we just, you know, without knowing what the workload is, it's very difficult to tell. For example, what McCaffrey did, given the fact that he wasn't even the every down back. Oh, no, he averaged like That's six carries a game. So, I mean, that was impressive with Barkley... He's got Stewart now with him again, but, you know. I mean, and Goldman. Goldman, too. You, you can't eliminate him. And then with Beckham back in the mix, it's not like they're going to say, oh, well, we're not going to target Odell Beckham anymore. And Shepard and the season Engram put up as a yeah. rookie. I'm telling it, you. It's a lot. That's why I think if you look at Mark Ingram versus Alvin Kamara, you know, maybe that's a better indicator. I mean, both of them had really good seasons, but maybe Kamara is better to look at the problem versus is McCaffrey. Kamara's first three or four games, he didn't do a whole lot. So I think maybe how they utilized Kamara the last eight games okay. rather than a season in total. If you want to go with that, that's fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right, there was somewhat of a transitional phase. Ingram was really the heavy lifter. But I, I think and then Adrian Alvin, Peterson, remember, too, the first few games, too. Right, he took some catches. Peterson also. So Alvin, to me, his second half of the season is maybe a better indication, perhaps, yeah. of McCaffrey over the course of the year. Yeah, I buy that. Maybe yeah. the kind of like a Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman type of situation. Though I think Barkley, that, I think that's more of a 50-50 deal. I think Barkley will get a lot more yeah, than Yeah, I think he'll be a little bit higher but, than that. Yeah, I'm but those you. those are good young running backs, I think, to take a look at. All right, another program reminder we said at the start of the show. We'll say it again. Uh, practice and media veils are in the afternoon, or rather in the morning and early afternoon on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. So we do not overlap. So the people that host the show could be as informed as possible. Go watch practice. Go to media availabilities. Uh, the show will not be until 1 o'clock on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. Again, it's 1 to 2 p.m., during mandatory minicamp, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Show returns to noon on Friday. And then uh, the summer schedule kicks in. We'll have some Fridays off. We'll have a week off the week of July 4th. We'll have all those details to you as we move forward. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks to Art Stapleton for joining us, and thanks to the callers. Couldn't do it without you. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. <laughs> on Giants.com. We'll see you then. Have a good one.